From Roblox to GitHub, the scale and reach of our digital communities has never been greater. It's funny because if you have kids, you've heard of this company. If you haven't, you've probably never seen it before. And I think in the next five to 10 years, it'll be as big or bigger than YouTube. Welcome to another edition of 2025, Tomorrow Today. I'm GeekWire co-founder, John Cook. And I'm Jordan Voss, Senior Vice President with Northern Trust. In this episode, we're kicking off the first of several conversations where we talk with leading investors about the unique areas that interest them. We reached out to Dan Lee, a partner at Seattle-based Madrona Venture Group. Along with his focus on more traditional areas of investment, Dan tells us he's extremely interested in communities as part of his focus at the venture capital firm. So my name's Dan. I'm one of the partners at Madrona. I've been there for about six years now, which is just crazy to think about because it's been a, a really fun six years in software world. The core areas that I invest in at Madrona, the, the first area would just be the enterprise software. And we call a lot of these things intelligent apps today. Um, but I like to think about uh, within intelligent apps and the world of machine learning, we see a lot of things that just where you're automating different processes and making things easier. Um, the second area I've been spending a lot of time is productivity tools and low-code tools. And there's kind of been like a, a genesis of this next generation of tools that's going from single-player desktop apps that you double-click and open to multiplayer apps where you send someone a browser link and they can hop in and work on something with you. We think that's happening to every application category, and that's an area where we're making a lot of investments. Um, the last area that I think we're talking about mostly today is this idea of online communities and all different types of online communities and different forms of online communities. I think typically in this category, people think about social networks, um, but I think that community is becoming one of the most important things of any type of company. And even if you look at uh, Microsoft's biggest deals before this latest Cinemax deal, it's things like GitHub, things like LinkedIn, things like Minecraft. Those products are definitely buildable and someone else can go and build it again. But the defensibility for a lot of these things really resides in the community of people who are your customers and your partners. And that's something that's been really interesting. Yeah. So let's drill down into social communities and kind of what you're seeing there and where you think there are investment opportunities. First off, this is an idea that's not really that new. I mean, community has been around for eons and especially in the Internet age, really was the beginning of the internet in many ways. When you think back to some of the original chat rooms and some of the original internet properties were very, very community-based. Totally. So what's different about community online now and what, what makes you excited about it as an opportunity? I definitely agree. Community has been around for forever and there's like those uh, epic blog posts that a couple of the VCs wrote back in the day on network effects and how network effects were going to mean everything in the internet age. I think there's probably two things that have happened. One, um, there's just been like such a push into SaaS that that's kind of been like anything, all anyone ever cares about. And there's been such a huge wave of SaaS companies that have done really well that a lot of the social networks have kind of gone by the wayside. There haven't been as many big wins there. And now there's more interest with things like Clubhouse coming out and all the newsletter things, helping people build smaller communities around your hundred true fans and that kind of idea. So I think there's just a resurgence around um, investor interest in this space buoyed by some of the big deals, but also by like, you know, things like COVID and trends where people are at home and want to connect with other people. I think the other thing is that there's different types of communities emerging now. So the traditional social network is 90% uh, of people are passive lurkers. They kind of observe what's going on. 9% of people are commenters and 1% of people are actually content 
contributors. And that would be like what you see on a site like Reddit. I think a lot of these newer um, communities, what you're seeing is the percentage of people who contribute content or create content is actually way higher. And this is kind of um, these trends converging around low code tools and communities. So one, one of the things that we think is that there's more people creating content than ever before. And this is happening in every type of media category. So there's, um, in gaming, it's really easy to see the high-end AAA content, like the cyberpunks and the Call of Duties and those types of games. And then there's the low-end, like what we call creator user-generated content coming out of things like Rec Room and Roblox. And I think we're seeing that in gaming with Roblox and cyberpunk, and that's been super obvious. But we're also seeing it in video. There's TikTok and YouTube, and that's in contrast to properties like Disney and Netflix pumping out the high budget content and all, all of these different um, lower end creator led user generated community user generated content communities I think are developing their own set of strengths around how do we elevate the best content in our community and how do we how do we incentivize people to actually come here and create stuff for us so this is happening in every category it's happening in music it's happening in video it's happening in gaming and I think the other thing that's happening is it's even happening in software world. So you have these low-code tools like Coda or Smartsheet, and people are building their OKR trackers themselves in those types of low-code tools. But you also see at the high end, you have um, companies like Ally or Cone who go out and build, like, here's the AAA version of an OKR tracker. It's just custom-built for you. Um, and I think for when we talk about communities, one of the things is around each of these companies, we're going to see what are the communities that emerge, what are the how do you think about like thought leadership? How do you think about engagement? How do people get caught up in this community so they want to continue contributing more? We've seen a lot of that stuff happen in open source world in the software side, but I think we're going to see more in other categories too. Dan, obviously the big names continue to dominate the landscape. Facebook now has over 2.7 billion monthly users. YouTube's reach is estimated at 2.29 billion. You mentioned TikTok, which was downloaded 850 million times around the world last year. You have tens of millions of people who come together around interests like Microsoft Office or AWS, or like you talk about a lot, open source. On the other side of the coin is the countless number of small or niche communities. There's a lot of turf that's already been carved out in the community space, whether it's Facebook and Twitter, or as you mentioned, even in enterprise, you know, with GitHub and Microsoft, uh, certainly in gaming, um, although you can see new entrants emerging there pretty pretty Mm -hmm. rapidly. Is the landscape too crowded in the community world? And then when you're talking about these maybe more niche communities, is there a big enough VC investable idea that it becomes the giant community, which I'm sure you want because there's more money to be made? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think um, Facebook and Reddit have done like, you know, amazing job getting hundreds of millions, billions of people onto their platforms. But like you said, I I think there are a lot of opportunities and what the uh, these niche communities. So one example is um, open source software. When open source really first started out, it was all about people, hackers online who wanted to team up against Microsoft and Oracle and put out stuff for free and build it with their friends. Today, what we see is open source software. It's really a marketing and go-to-market strategy of how do we help people discover our software by putting it out there on GitHub, getting feedback, getting some help with maybe product QA as well. And there's going to be, for every single open source company, they have a community. And when when they talk to investors, they talk about how many stars they have on their GitHub repo, how many contributors um, submit code to them. And there's going to be opportunities not just in those companies building the community, but also opportunities to help those companies manage communities, as an example. 
So I, I think so. A community uh, to manage communities. What's who's doing <laughs> that? Meta. Yeah, who's doing uh, that? So we have uh, one uh, stealth company that hasn't been announced yet, but they're they're helping open source and low code communities, low low code software companies manage their communities. And it's things like today, if you're a software company, one of your greatest assets is your community. So like in Smartsheet's example, they have you know 80,000 people or 100,000 people come out to their conference. It's super awesome to see all those people in person, people who are contributing templates to Smartsheet, people who are spreading the word of Smartsheet, um, sharing things internally. But one of the things that is always funny for the open source companies is like, well, how do you actually invest in your community? How do, you, how do you elevate the people who are the top contributors? How do you find who you should invite to the next conference and be a speaker? How do you make sure that um, someone who joins your community is getting the right set of resources that they need? Today, it's happening in GitHub, which isn't really the best forum environment. It's happening on Slack. It's happening on Twitter. A lot of these things aren't actually owned by the companies themselves, so they don't get a lot of insight into what's happening. Same thing on the consumer side. If you're a direct consumer company, your Instagram and your Facebook are super important to you, but those aren't properties that you actually own. You never know, like if you make a Facebook post, who's actually going to see it. So I think there's opportunities, like you said, both in the niche um, vertical communities to narrow down in a specific area or use case. And there's also opportunities to help people build communities. And it seems like one of the biggest areas and opportunities to build communities is with younger people who flock to these popular gaming platforms like Roblox, Minecraft, and Rec Room. Roblox is expected to go public in March, and you guys at Madrona led a Series C round that invested $20 million into Rec Room. If you don't have teens or tweens, you might not be familiar with Roblox. It's been around for years, but really exploded last year amidst the pandemic lockdown. Roblox has an estimated 160 million monthly active users, and some reports say it was played by over half the kids under 16 in the U.S. From an investment standpoint, that must be extremely appealing to have an entire generation to go after. This thing that we're seeing is there's a whole next generation of creators that are growing up right now. And like people like me, we're super comfortable doing Excel formulas and carrying that into something like Coda. Um, now what we're seeing with things like Roblox or Minecraft are like people can build like, you know, a functioning calculator or computer inside of Minecraft just from watching YouTube videos. And it's a whole never, a whole another level of um, fluency with these tools. And like our recent investment in Rec Room, we kind of see that as an investment in a community of low code creators where Rec Room is a low-code tool where you can build games. And the social network around those games just happens to be people who like to hang out with their friends inside of games versus hang out on Facebook or Twitter or anything else. I actually have a hard time describing what it is, even though my son is playing in Roblox all the time. Yeah, so, so there's two parts of Roblox. One is a game development platform where primarily kids, more like teenagers, can go in and build games for, for themselves and to share with their friends. And it's a low-code platform. Um, so it, it's like a simplified programming language that makes it easier for people to build games. That's one half of it. The second half of it, which um, is what the part that most consumers see, is an app you can log in and all those games that other people have created, you can log in and play all of them and explore them with your friends. So that company, this product, Roblox, kids under the age of 13 spend more time in Roblox than YouTube, which just seems impossible to imagine <laughs> considering how much time people spend on YouTube. No, no, no. In my household, I would say it's probably Minecraft, 
then probably Roblox, then probably YouTube. Yeah. So yeah. Th- this company's um, they've been at it for a really long time, over a decade. Um, they've been slowly building up this community of users and this library of games that are popular in the platform. They don't build their own games. All the games are built by the community, by other users. And um, th- they're about to go public sometime later this year. Billions of revenue. Um, and it's, it's funny because if you have kids, you've heard of this company. If you haven't, you've probably never seen it before. And I think in the next five to 10 years, it'll be as big or bigger than YouTube. Wow. That's a big prediction. I mean, YouTube has over 2 billion users worldwide. Uh, Do you think it's possible a site like this loses steam as users age, or do you think it can sustain itself over the long run? Certainly the market is betting on it continuing to grow. The different part about these is that people are actually contributing to the communities. They're not just consuming content passively anymore. And after you've invested that time in learning how to use this tool and it becomes your primary tool for you know building a 3D experience or game for you to hang out with your friends in, then it becomes a lot stickier. And it's not just about watching like what the funniest meme is and seeing like these reposted things from other sites. It's about like you're, you're actually creating something and sharing it. Yes, yeah, so I, I guess that gets to one of your points why you're excited about this because there's there's a there's an investment. It's not you're just not passive. There's an investment by people to to create content in the community, which makes it uh, longer lasting. Yep. And, and that's one of the things like the, the companies are investing in those types of tools to make it easier for um, their customers, clients, consumers to build stuff for their platform. And I think that might be one of the differences in like, let's say like old school Microsoft world versus new school Microsoft world that loves the community and loves open source now there's all these onboard on-ramps for you to build integrations into teams. There's all these on-ramps for you to be a part of the partner ecosystem more so than historically. It was like, I'm the software vendor and you're my customer. It's tangential to the community idea as you're describing it now, but I've always loved your blog because I love Western Washington and the Puget Sound and Pacific Northwest. And you seem to be, um, you know, someone who's very supportive of the local tech ecosystem uh, you show some pride in our region, our unicorns and everything else. I mean, to what extent is the VC community, the founder community, it, to what extent is that becoming divorced from the region? It, uh, you've talked about Miami, Austin. Does it even matter now? Does it matter where the funds, uh, you know, from where they're coming, what expertise is local? It, has that game just changed completely in the last six months? Yeah. Um, I feel like, it's just so strange how Seattle just tends to be underreported on everything. <laughs> and like one of the things I had written about in the newsletter was how after Zoom Info's IPO, TechCrunch the following couple of days, like a few days later, they're like, we missed the Zoom Info IPO, which is like a $20 billion IPO, the biggest tech IPO of the year up to that point. We missed Zoom Info's IPO in the last news cycle. So we're circling back to go catch up on it. So it's just crazy how the Pacific Northwest community gets so underreported compared to a place like Miami and Austin. And it's such a tight knit community. Like I feel like everyone knows each other and supports each other. And, and um, it, it's just like a lot closer than you know a, a San Francisco or a New York type of thing. Um, in terms of does location matter anymore, this is something we've been talking with all of our portfolio companies about. My, my take on it is that there's going to be companies like the Netflixes of the world that are super into an office culture and people want to be in the office. And if you want to advance in your career at Netflix, you probably want to be in the office and be close to all the executives and managers and your other teammates. And then there's the world of companies that are totally remote, like the GitLabs. 
And they're going to have a really unique value prop to people who want to join them because they're 100% remote. They're built around remote. There's no need to be in the office. You, you don't feel like you're going to be missing out on everything, on anything. And I feel like there's a whole segment of companies in the middle who are going to be trying to go after different types of hybrid models. And they're going to kind of get squeezed because if you want to work at a fully remote async company, there's going to be GitLab's and Zapiers and companies like that that you can go work at. And if you want to work in an office environment and you like that, there's going to be companies where you can do that too. So I feel like it's going to be tough for those companies in the middle to figure out like exactly how do we position it and are we getting the best talent and how do we get our message out there to, to have like a culture that resonates with people. So that's to say, I think there's a big category of companies where it'll be totally remote, doesn't matter where you are. And I think there's going to be also a lot of companies where it does matter where you are. And it does matter where the headquarters is and it does matter where your team is and where your manager and where the executive leadership team of the company sits. And for that reason, I think that geography still matters. And Madrona, our strategy obviously is investing in the Pacific Northwest. And we still see like, as people are coming out of you know, uh, Stripe or an Uber or Facebook to start a new company, it's helpful to know other people in the local community who can help you get started and get funded. And especially early recruiting, I feel like it's really helpful to be in a specific geography. So I don't think geography is totally gone, but I do think there will be a larger category of companies that are either full remote or hybrid remote. Dan, getting back to investment opportunities on the community side, when you look out five years, why do you think social communities are an area that is ripe for investment? I think the thing, um, like you pointed out, that's new is we're seeing a lot of these social networks pop up in like an enterprise context, like the Smartsheet community of users or the GitHub community of users. Um, and is there enough market to go build big companies there? I think so, because the monetization for these types of communities will be different. Um, one of the things that I think is pretty interesting is um, Roblox is about to go public via direct listing. And the last round they did was at 30 billion. We think it could go up higher than that. And Unity is um, currently trading at 40 billion. So there's a question of, could this company Roblox, which manages a social community of gamers and helps other people create games and distribute games, could that be actually worth more than the platform that the games themselves are built on? And there's some really interesting dynamics there because Roblox isn't just the game platform for people to build games on. It's also a social network. It's also a social network and it's a social network that monetizes their users directly by having them pay for in-app purchases. So compared to something like um, a Unity, their, their business model is just totally different. They monetize their end users because it's a social network. And because it's a social network, there's more defensibility there. What is the most important attribute of these companies that are building these next generation social communities? What do you look for that really stands out that you say, okay, that one's going to really ramp up and I see a lot of enthusiasm and excitement behind it versus something's going to be either too small or um, it it's just maybe it just doesn't hit the network effect that you're looking for. What, what, yeah. what stands out as you've, as you've done a deeper dive and research into this? That's a great question. I think it's going to be different for the different categories. Like what you look for for an open source company is going to be a lot of stars and developers are discovering this project and then great reference customers early days, uh, like a typical enterprise software company. I think for a lot of the more consumer facing things, the thing that we're seeing that's different is a higher percentage of people actually creating content 
for the community um, in contrast to something like a Twitter or Reddit where most of the time I'm a very passive consumer of content on something like a, a Minecraft or a Rec Room, there's a way higher percentage of people who actually contribute content. So I think a lot of these things are going to be like a tool plus a community and you want the tool to be so good that it actually gets people more engaged. And TikTok is a great example of that. Dan, give me an example of how you see this intersecting with the real physical world. I think like the way that it comes into the real world that I've seen in gaming is just like the general transfer of culture. So last year, for example, like uh, I think TikTok and Roblox probably created a lot more culture than uh, like the music industry, for example. Um, the weekend, uh, I was watching the Super Bowl with um, some of our COVID friends are like, the weekend, like what's he doing here? And I was like, did you know he had like the biggest concert in Roblox last year? <laughs> Like there, there's culture and community being created in these online platforms that then comes to the real world through just transfer of like memes, culture, people talking about things. That's how I see some of the transfer happening between digital communities coming into the real world. Someone does a TikTok, someone sees a TikTok challenge and they get their friends and family involved. And now it's like, oh, wow, this thing that I learned about on the internet is actually helping me do more fun things with the people that I love. Dan, how much do you worry about people being so immersed in these niche communities that we can't cross-pollinate into other niche communities it seems we, and we get more siloed? It seems like we're already experiencing that issue as a society today. Is this something you even think yeah. about when you think about community? Totally. Well, I mean, um, we almost think about it on the other side where it's like, hey, how can uh, AWS find the most engaged members of their community who are just chatting in Slack today and get them even more engaged by, by having the right tools and platforms for them. Um, I definitely think there's a huge problem in terms of people not seeing things from outside their bubble. And we've talked to a few different companies that are trying to solve different versions of that through moderation tools and like doing different things where you can evaluate if something is misinformation or not. I don't know. I, I think a lot of it's on the tech companies to figure things out. I think a lot of it is us like almost trusting the companies that they can do the right thing in different situations. But I, I feel like um, opinions on this are so split. And I don't know, at the end of the day, a lot of the decisions are going to come down to money in some <laughs> way, shape or form. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, it, it does seem like something that is going to have a bigger spotlight on it in the coming years. On the other hand, we can't talk about social communities without some of the negative repercussions and challenges. There's been a lot of controversy around some of the political aspects, hate speech, fomenting violence, then of course, addiction, bullying, doxing. There are big debates about moderation and free speech. You had AWS and others kicking Parler off their servers. Does all that concern you from an investment standpoint? Yeah, it's definitely super like um, super challenging. After the parlor shutdown, um, one of these VCs, David Sachs, had tweeted out, "This is crazy. I can't believe this happened. If this was one of your portfolio companies, VCs out there, like you guys would all be like angry. You'd be like, you'd be like, you, you can't just shut me down. There's all these other companies that don't have good community moderation tools too. Um, it, it, it is interesting how it seems like it comes down." In that case, it it came down to Parler being kind of like a casualty of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's also kind of interesting how even after Parler got back up and they said they were going to shut down some of the hate groups on their platform, the board said, hey, the CEO's out, we're firing you. So 
who makes these decisions and why they make decisions, like looking into that kind of stuff is super important. As someone who invests in some of these platforms, it's definitely super important that the moderation and the commitment to doing a good job on moderation and keeping these platforms safe is really important. And like, especially around the platforms like a Minecraft or a Rec Room or a Roblox, that kind of stuff is super important because you have kids in these environments and you want to make sure it's a good environment for them. Um, but th- that is something that I think anyone who's looking at community platforms has to pay a lot of attention to. Think out to 2025, the future here of social communities. What stands out in your mind? What's your vision of what it looks like for some of these new communities that are going to be thriving at that time? Yeah, I think um, it's going to be every category of human creation, whether it's software or media or music, is going to have, um, we're still going to have the AAA um, studios and software companies that build those really high-end experiences for people. But also in every one of those categories, there's going to be a, a creator community that uses some sort of low-code tool to build things, share it with their friends, with their colleagues, with their coworkers, with their customers. And there's going to be a kind of like a top-down and bottom-up convergence of which which categories are going to win on the low-code side and which categories are going to win on the AAA side. I think some of the markets will be big enough where you have winners on both ends, like video, and we're already seeing that. And then some of the categories are really going to move towards um, the user-generated content. And I think gaming is going to be one of the big ones there. Dan Lee, partner at Madrona Ventures. Dan, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. Thanks, well, Dan. thanks for the time. This yeah, great seeing you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, what would you think, Jordan? Are social communities the next big investment frontier? I think so. I mean, it's, or it's highly possible anyway. I mean, I look at my own daily routine. Peloton's a big part of that. And I think, you know, how community is thriving despite people talking about how social connectivity is down. I just feel like it centers now around, you know, instead of civic organizations like church or service clubs, rotary, nonprofits, now community relates to brands and businesses. It's a thriving concept, but business seems to kind of have co-opted it. That's a great point. I had not thought about it that way, but I think you're right. The amount of people that have, and we didn't even talk about Peloton. I'm glad you brought it up because wow, that community has really emerged in a strong way in the last five or 10 years. As a participant in that community, do you feel as if you are getting value back through the community and that you're making society perhaps better as a result of being a Peloton rider? Well, in some, I mean, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I know it is, you know, all the things that people like about um, engaging and connecting and having an ecosystem of, you know, kind of like-minded members, it's all there. You know, I have certain people on Peloton, certain usernames that, I like to see on the leaderboard and I like to, and so in a weird way, it's personally enriching. You know, I, th- I think of how powerful they are. Though. I mean, I look at Harley Davidson and just how many local chapters they have, riding clubs, uh, again, centered around the brand. Whereas I don't know how many of those things are actually happening in the traditional kind of bowling clubs and uh, those things again. So I, I could actually see the thesis working out. Yeah. One area where Dan lost me was this idea of communities around enterprise software companies. And I don't know, I, I get it in the open source community. You know, I think one of the things with these enterprise software companies and why they want to fashion themselves as communities, even though I would disagree with, with, with that, but it's this concept that, and you've seen it, Jordan, where many enterprise companies, so companies that sell to other businesses, 
are trying to take a page out of consumer companies and then plop that into how they are, you know, it's kind of the consumerization of tech and, you know, and, and they're every company in the enterprise space is trying to do that. And so I think that's where some of this is coming from, but I just get a little bit lost on the fact that like, they're not really communities <laughs> at the end of the day. Well, you know, I, I mean, Smartsheet is probably, you know, it's a fantastic product and it's solving problems for people, but is it really a community? I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but I, that's just where I get a bit lost. Yeah. It was, you know, there's that cliche about the laptop sticker test where you know it's a viable you know community if it's the type of thing someone would put a sticker of on their laptop. And yeah, I mean, Crystal Mountain or Yakima Trailers or Peloton or whatever club, sure, you know, <laughs> but when it comes to- Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good test here. I think that's a really good test. <laughs> you, yeah, you don't see too many Smartsheet stickers, to, but to your point, but, phenomenal company. Well, the other component of this is just, I mean, getting onto the consumer side, because that that is pretty interesting to me. When you think about new communities emerging that that are really trying to connect consumers, and obviously we've seen the rise of Clubhouse here recently. And Jordan, I know you've spent more time on Clubhouse than than I have. Do you feel it's a it's a viable and interesting and fun community that you want to participate in in a bigger way? Yeah, I want it to be. I have spent a lot of time on there because I really like the concept. I think uh, Naval Ravikant had a tweet essentially saying uh, that you know, Clubhouse is the live music of podcasts. So, you know, you, you buy the album is equivalent to listening to the podcast and then going to a show is equivalent to going to Clubhouse where people are kind of riffing. It's thematic. And I like that concept. I want it to be great. But whenever I've listened, it's often very self-referential. You know, people talk a lot about being on Clubhouse while they're on Clubhouse. And it's really disjointed. So you end up just getting people chatting about whatever comes to mind. And it's, it's often hard to, hard to focus or, or, or hard to listen to if you actually want to get something out of it. So I haven't had the most success with that. I think it, it I think it could be really big. I it's just, it, to me, it's not there yet. What about you? Have you listened? I, I have not participated much. I know, obviously there's been some interesting uh, folks in there, including Steve Ballmer, you know, doing a clubhouse session from his hot tub, <laughs> which was interesting, uh, you know, and, and so I don't know, I'm so overloaded with content at this point that I, I find it hard to add another social community, social network into my life. And that, you know, that's, that's my big hang up with a lot of these new communities that are trying to form. And you you have seen a lot of them over the last 10, 15 years that have tried to take root and they might get a bit of traction, but then just kind of fizzle. And I just think it's really hard to build them and have them be sustained. And frankly, I guess I'm getting old, but like, I don't have time for additional social uh, community hangouts in my online life. Well, I mean, you do see, again, observing my own behavior, you do see how sticky these communities are just because you build up such an irreplaceable amount of social capital inside of these ecosystems. It's really hard to move or it's really not worth it. Um, whether that's you being a, you know, extreme reviewer on Amazon or whatever they call it, where, you know, you're one of the best reviewers or whether or not you're a super user on Peloton or any of these things. It's a pretty effective lens if you're just trying to focus on sticky kind of retention-based metrics. 
maybe this is why the venture capitalists like it so much because something like that is extremely hard to break customers away from. And so they have a pretty, as they like to say in the VC business, a deep moat around their business based on the stickiness of the users that aren't going to switch out of the Pinterest community and join, you know, the other home decorating community that's just starting up. But you are seeing that switching costs on, I mean, but I I don't know, I would push back maybe a little bit on that, Jordan, because like, look how many of the kids have like fled Facebook, I guess. I was going to say Instagram, but that's part of Facebook, (laughs) but like to me, let's say TikTok as an example. And like, so there is an ability, I think, for people to build new and creative entities in this space. Well, good luck in your next uh, Peloton competition. Saucy Vossy. Uh, Is that what you are? Saucy Vossy. That's right. I won't be seeing, I won't be seeing you on. How about that? That's a shame. All right. Thanks for joining us for 2025 Tomorrow Today. I am John Cook, co-founder of GeekWire. And I'm Jordan Voss, Senior Vice President with Northern Trust. Thanks for listening. 2025 Tomorrow Today is produced and edited by Josh Kearns and Cypress Point Podcasting for GeekWire Studios. It's intended for informational purposes only and is not to be taken as investment advice. There may be some overlap between businesses mentioned and the holdings of Northern Trust clients, our hosts, and panelists.